So to kick things off, I just want to read this tweet from our friend Quill Jen on Twitter. The old nurse's story, a mysterious musician, a love triangle, jealousy, obsession, a chandelier, and a ghost playing the organ. Cue the overture from Phantom of the Opera. But of course, I can't get that music without, you know. <laughs> I could hum it. You want to hum it? Yeah, because I don't want to. Like... Mm, yeah, and it goes on it's longer than that. Come at us, copyright lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the show that explores the lives and works of women writers from the 18th, 19th and 20th centuries. I am your host, Hannah Chapman. And I am your host, Lauren Burke. And this week on the show, we are talking about The Old Nurse's Story by Elizabeth Gaskell. So it's a very short story. It's a not book. Correct. We're just covering all the not books at the moment. Mm-hmm. Loza, drop some facts on me about The Old Nurse's oh. Story. Oh, I will. So um, anyone that listens to the show will know that I am a uh, true Dickens expert, an enthusiast, right? Yeah, you just absolutely love the Dickens. (laughs) I mean, as long as we're limited to his relationship with his wife, Elizabeth Gaskell, and, you know, whatever else that disgruntled worker from the Dickens house told me when I took that tour eight years ago. (laughs) But um. Dickens, as we know, was a fan of Gaskell's debut novel, Mary Barton, which was published in 1848. Uh, So while he was prepping for his uh, literary magazine launch, that household words that we've talked about quite a few times on the show, um, he put down Liz as one of his most desirable contributors to the magazine. And in January of 1850, he wrote her this very flattering letter asking her for a short an anonymous contribution. He actually asked all of his contributors to um, send him anonymous pieces. I like that which idea. Which I kind of get. Yeah. I kind of give it the side eye a little bit because people thought that Dickens just wrote everything oh. in every issue. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Instead of like going out to, you know, some of the most successful novelists of the day and saying, hey, can I have a short story from you? But okay. I mean, whatever. <laughs> um. Anyway, the mission of the magazine was to raise up those who are down and the general improvement of our social condition. So pretty lofty goals on that one. He was like, hey, Liz, yeah, you've got to shoot for the stars, man. You got to. Yeah, he's got to break, break that glass ceiling. That applies to him, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I'm kind of surprised because he was such a, you know, moneymaker. Instead of going like, hey, guys, let's entertain these folks. He was like, hey, let's improve the social condition. Maybe you can do both. Maybe you can Maybe get rich can and bo- make people I mean, I guess, I guess he did both, really, didn't he? <laughs> Go Dickens. Um, Gaskell would write for this magazine for 13 years, starting with Lizzie Lee. And then there was Cranford and The Old Nurse's Story followed in 1852 in the Christmas edition which was full of spooky stories because, um, I don't know, Hannah, are British like Christmas ghost stories a thing? Yeah, I mean, if like Bridget Jones is considered a ghost story, I guess. 
right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a British thing? <laughs> um, I just at Christmas I just get drunk and watch the holiday over and over again. So I'm don't I'm personally not familiar with this. So you shared that article with me and it was saying that like uh the tradition kind of started to decline after a while and that was with a guy called Oliver Cromwell. Do you know who he is? I heard the name okay. once or twice. 17th century it started sure. to decline. Great. So it is after my time. But it does okay. you know it makes some kind of sense. It's like got roots in paganism it's the end of the year Mm. the days are darker you're sat around the fire you're talking about death and rebirth but then that started making me think about like our halloween traditions being like less ingrained than you guys because if you think for for us we've got after the 17th century we've got or maybe it was before bonfire night you know, we've got like Guy Fawkes, yeah. we're like burning our effigies in, in November and we're sharing our spooky yeah. Christmas stories in winter. And then like, maybe that's kind of why we did less of the trick or treating stuff because we were doing it during these other times of the year. So those are my mm. thoughts on Christmas, bonfire night and Halloween. <laughs> I kind of wonder too, if it's like, it makes sense as a Victorian thing yes. as well, because they were so into the seances and like communicating with the dead. I actually sort of related, but not really related. Actually recently read this thing that um, they were saying that basically like it kind of makes sense that Victorians like believed in ghosts or they like were really into seances and communicating with the dead because um things were happening like telegraphs, you yeah. know, which were they like never thought was possible. They're like, yeah, I can, you know, communicate with someone from London and New York and that's like a miracle. So why couldn't I like communicate with someone in the afterlife? Like, so um, yeah, I think maybe it also has something to do with that popular spiritualism that was happening in like, the Victorian age. A Christmas carol has remained mm-hmm. like that is fully like yeah. Christmas, like Dickens Christmas, Christmas Carol, like that's a ghost story. And it's all a thing, but it's like, it's that one. It's not like, which is your favorite yeah. Christmas ghost story? It's like, oh, the Christmas Carol is the Christmas ghost <laughs> story that has survived. So that is definitely, that is definitely a big part of Christmas, but I don't know if that's the same as ghost stories, plural, still being a part of it. So, totally. Yeah. I had wondered too if it was like a particular Dickens thing because I think Christmas Carol was published in, I want to say 1843, being a Dickens ac- expert. I should know that at the top of my head, right? Um, and then he just was like, hey, I'm going to carry this on, right? Like get more people to do Christmas ghost stories. People love spooky shit. Apart from me. Worked. I don't. I don't for care me. for it. Yeah, you don't. Nope. I love it. So <laughs> Every time October rolls around, I'm like, wow, I cannot wait to do our spooky episode. Uh, I cannot wait to do it. So I made you read the old nurse's story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I Did you it. love it, Hannah? Yeah, it's not for me, guys. It's not for me. There are a few points where I was like, that's weird. And then I <laughs> will never have to read it again. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, I wasn't super scared. It was like a bit scary. No. And then the ending was rubbish. <laughs> I hated it. Um, and then I listened to like, uh, a much better ghost story that was written by a man and felt like I didn't know who I was anymore. <laughs> oh dear. All right. Well, let me try to quickly summarize this for you guys. I'm probably going to do a terrible job, but here we go. So 
like Wuthering Heights, we have a story within a story, which I always like because you have potential for a unreliable narrator. Ooh. <laughs> um, Hester, our old nurse, is sharing a spooky story from her younger days with her current charges. She asked them if they knew that their mother, Rosamond, was an orphan. And then she proceeds to tell them sort of like how this came to be and where poor old Rosie ended up after her parents died, which was a manor house in the Cumberland Fells, which is in the Lake District. Yeah, it's where my mum lives. Yeah. Yeah. Scarfo. Does she, mountain. Does she live in uh, Furnival Ma- uh, Manor? Is her house haunted? No, of course it isn't. Although it was one of the UK's first medical dispensaries. So maybe. 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 I will say I did, I did like the narrator and it being like, you know, and like, oh, there's the old nurse, like in the title. That was pretty cool. Yeah, You're into that? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> the house is inhabited by a great aunt, Grace, who I think is like in her 80s. Yeah, she's, she's pretty old. old. She's really old. She can't hear anything. Um, her small staff. And of course, there are some ghosts. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Belle in Beauty and the Beast, the girls are told when they arrive that they cannot enter the East Wing. I think it's the East Wing in Beauty and the Beast. Could be the West Wing. But I think it's the, the West Wing, right? Is it the West Wing? Or am I, Guys. that's the TV show about the president. <laughs> Does he, is he also not allowed to enter one of the wings? Is that a rule it's at the White full House? Of ghosts. The White House actually is wildly haunted. Oh my gosh. So one of the best things that happens in this house is that uh, weird organ music just starts playing at odd hours. Yeah, very goosebumps. Mm. Love it. Yeah, organ. A very spooky instrument, is it not? Yeah, who has an organ? Let me just go and play my home organ. Weirdly enough, my grandparents did. That's weird. Yeah, and um, so this is actually like a, a familiar noise that, like, to me, like I would sometimes be spending the night there, and I would hear like the organ playing. That's definitely that's your grandparents being like, I know, yeah, I know it's gonna fuck this girl <laughs> up. Let's go play. Probably just one of my just cousins, playing like George like, Harrison covers. <laughs> <laughs> one day, Hester goes to church, and she's leaving little Rosie at home alone. And when she returns, Rosie is nowhere to be found. And um, can I say, I did actually find this a very effective part of the story. Yeah. Because uh, she's just like frantically searching for this missing child. And um, it's just, yeah, it's really well written, that part. Um, Thankfully, she runs into a shepherd and he is returning the frozen child. She had like gone out into the snow alone. Um, Rosie explains that a little girl came tapping on the window earlier that night and led her up to the fells where a beautiful woman was rocking her to sleep in the snow. And uh, yeah, a little creepy, right? Yeah. Love, I love this part in any creepy story when like a child explains. Like, I oh yeah. did not care for the little girl in this story. <laughs> Which one, like, Rosie or the ghost little girl? The ghost girl, fine. Just tapping at that okay, window. I'm down. Mm-hmm. Rosie, my little child. My little, mm-hmm. where's my little girl? I don't, I, <laughs> I didn't. I was like, has she had a child? Uh, yeah a friend of mine Sarah she does a very good Edwardian child impression and like oh, that's great. what I kept thinking of and so maybe it's that because I listened to an audiobook but just like the voice just where's my yeah. little girl just over and over again not a fan no it was really scary and then she'd say that and I'd be like just kill the child like is that no. 
Is that what's happening? Let her go into the snow. Don't bring her back. Terrible. Yeah. Well, of course, Hester thinks that the girl is just sort of like feverish and making all of this up and just, you know, puts it to one side. But then later on that same winter, Hester sees Mm -hmm. the little ghost girl rapping on the window, just like Kathy in Wuthering Heights. And um, that's when she goes in search of like a backstory from the servants and eventually even gets like some info from old Grace, who Mm -hmm. really has a quite the response to hearing what's going on. Um, essentially, when Grace and her sister Maud were young, beautiful, very proud women, they both fell in love with the same man. This dude was a musician who came to Furnival Manor every summer uh, because her their father really loved the organ music. Just love that organ. Maud secretly married him and had his baby, which she sort of like hid for a few years in... Mm-hmm. Was like a farmhouse on the estate or something. If you've seen Downton Abbey, it's very much like what Edith does with her kid, right? Mm, yes. And then she gets it totally. back. And then it's, you know, whose kid yeah. is this? Oh, it's just yeah, a foundling. Yeah. Just found this little girl. Yeah. <laughs> when the uh, musician sort of like deserts her, basically, um, she's kind of like waiting for her dad to die. Mm. And she doesn't really get the timing right, I think. And the little girl is, yeah, there at the house. The father finds out everything. He is super pissed. Um, Grace is also super pissed because she was in love with that guy as well. And um, he throws them out into the snow where, of course, the child and the mother pass away. Right. Yeah. So the ghosts of Maud and her daughter are now continuing to lure little Rosamond out into the snow. And um, my second favorite bit of writing in this from Gaskell um, was that I think that she really effectively conveyed the anxiety of trying to keep a child safe from something that they don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Hester is just like watching her day and night and, you know, trying to talk her down from like going out into the snow with this little ghost girl. And she just knows like, something's gonna happen yeah and also it's really spooky at this point right yes yeah it's really actually this is the this might be the best part of the story because it's it's like building and building Mm -hmm. and building and there's all the suspense and you're emotionally attached to it and then it all kind of comes to a head and ends really quickly (laughs) yeah which is kind of the downfall of the stories absolutely um, screwed the landing yeah, yeah, the landing was not was not there. I am sorry, Gaskell. But I think Gaskell also is a long form story mm-hmm. queen, right? Like a short story might not be her forte. Um, so you have this great bit of anxiety. Hester's like, oh God, gotta keep this gal out of the snow. And then one night, it's sort of like the whole scene just suddenly replays. You got the spooky organ music, you have Maud and the little girl sort of, you know, replaying the whole scene with the dad when he finds out Mm -hmm. that um, she has the secret child and then casts them out into the snow. And so you see it all and the whole family sees the whole scene, including Grace, who then promptly dies. She doesn't die. She has a fit of the palsy and then she's paralyzed in her bed until the end of her days and just sits there muttering over and over and over to herself. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which again... You know, I didn't hate that ending. It wasn't, didn't sound super different to what she was doing anyway. I just, everyone seeing the the ghost, 
it felt like an M Night Shyamalan mm. ending a bit, you know, where it's like this is the thing everyone saw, everyone saw it, but the CGI isn't quite as good as anyone thinks it's going to be, and then <laughs> it's a little on the nose. You know, I love to rewrite people's stories. Why wasn't the old nurse a different nurse? Like there were two nurses, and then the nurse mm-hmm. that really liked the kid went out into the snow and was never seen again, and then the ghosts Ooh. disappeared. Anyway, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Like they have to claim someone. Like someone's got to go. Someone's got to go. Or like I mean, Grace. It kind of or like was... Grace goes out the window. Grace follows the child. Yeah. And then yeah. dies. Grace should have gone. Grace should have gone. But instead, we just get that crummy ending. And it's funny too because there was all that anxiety um, I had for Rosamond's safety throughout the story. But then it's like, oh yeah, in the beginning of the story, you know that Rosamond li- like is yeah, alive because she has kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I just like weirdly forgot it. Right, and then at yeah, the end, yeah. when I was like reevaluating the story, I was like, wait a minute, we shouldn't have like had that detail up front. So, you know, Hannah, Elizabeth Gaskell totally saw a ghost. Um, I was reading Michael Ashley's introduction to Mrs. Gaskell's Tales of Mystery and Horror. And I just love the way that he casually drops that Elizabeth saw a ghost, but then gives no follow up. Or no details, and just sort of moves on. I feel like he, he wrote this of... book for you, Lauren. It's like it's just so sprinkling a little crumb of a little teaser for you. It's so rude, like that. He's like, so yeah, Mrs. Gaskell saw, saw a ghost. Anyway, Mary Shelley, <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, of course, we know some Gaskell experts. We do. There's a so... couple. Yeah. There's a couple. So I, of course, like tagged them all in Facebook, like, wait, what's going on here? And thankfully, Dr. Diane Duffy, who works at Gaskell House, um, explained that uh, Elizabeth really did see a ghost in Shottery. Wow. Yeah. Shottery near Stratford. And this is in uh, letter 48 in the chapel and pillars, sort of like edition mm-hmm. of her letters. Um, it reads... On one long drive to a place where I believe the Sleeping Beauty lived, it was so overgrown and hidden up by woods, I saw, capital letters, a ghost. Yes, I did. Though in such a matter-of-fact place as Charlotte Street, I should not wonder if you are skeptical. I would love to have gotten a letter from Elizabeth Gaskell. She wrote good letters, man. She did. Yeah, I don't get it. Why, like, everyone everyone was just obsessed with seeing ghosts and, like, looking for them and trying to find them. Yeah. I'm really glad that I wasn't around back then, having to, like, <laughs> endure people being like, hey, you want to come over for a casual afternoon seance and, you know, like, try and contact ah. some ghosts or see them? I say that. I mean, you talk to me about ghosts all the time, constantly. So it is I like I'm living the casual afternoon through the seance. Victorian <laughs> spiritualist era uh, in 2019. <laughs> I have my own version but <laughs> yeah just really I, glad can we set that up do you think they'll do one at gaskell house that'd be great i think just a little could. afternoon tea and seance yes yeah come on great who's interested let's know let's know if you're interested <laughs> i'm not going yeah. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> well maybe i'll take like my baby blanket and a torch or something and just sit in the corner <laughs> Oh, it'd be so great. Oh, we could have a little lecture about like Victorian sort of spiritualism. Ooh. I, Can I, I wear a costume? Whole, 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Actually, you can wear a costume and not and quote unquote not be there, but you'll be upstairs just like you know, with a cane, like banging on the yeah, ceiling. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that works perfectly. So if you guys are interested, uh, just let us know in our Facebook group. Now, speaking of our Facebook group, y'all had some great comments on this story. First up, Dan M. I'm interested in frames inside frames and ghost and the ghost origin story. The Furnival sisters and father was a story within a story. Like, this is what I heard. It might be true. And then there seemed to be a frame within a frame within a frame. The vague allusion to stories about Lord Furnival, like we can't or we don't want to know. There's also the idea of why is this story being told to children? Like, these children are siblings, and you can also interpret the story as a kind of moral t- tale about, you can also interpret the story as a kind of moral tale about sibling rivalry and love. Yes, I love frames within frames within frames, especially within ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the whole idea of, um, so what I, I like about a, a ghost story in general is that you are always questioning the narrator, right? Yeah. You're always like, what really happen there you're always trying to poke holes within the story and what's interesting about like a story within a story is just all of this information and like how it has passed on and possibly morphed yeah and you become sort of a detective like trying to pick it apart so um that is one of the things that i actually do love and appreciate about this story i don't i just wish that i actually gaskell had like 500 pages to sort of (laughs) work it out (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It just needs to be longer. But I also agree with Rosa S, who said that they felt a bit like Joey from Friends with his fear <laughs> of little girl ghosts after reading that. The organ music was creepy, as was the bit where Rosamond ends up on the fells after being lured away. Not sure I ha- feel, not sure how I feel about the denouement, which I know means the ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't said it since college. I haven't said it since years but it lacks the uh subtlety and uncertainty of a lot of other ghost stories exactly like totally agree right Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like a lot of victorian ghost stories sort of lack that subtlety though from what i've read i'm not an expert in victorian ghost stories but i've read the mezzotint is the one that i accidentally read and it's great Mm -hmm. oh is it okay yeah i'll check it out so there was a lot of great chat in the Facebook group about the ending. And um, I happened to find an article by Annette Hopkins that came out of the Huntington Library about Mrs. Gaskell and Dickens and how they disagreed on the ending. There were actually some heated letters back and forth between these two. Which we know was like very out of character for them. They always agreed on everything. Yeah, she always listened to his advice. <laughs> um. One thing that was actually in this article that's not quite relevant, but when he first started Household Words and asked her for a short story, she sent him Lizzie Lee, which was not a short story at all. It was basically <laughs> a novel. And he was like, okay, okay, so this is going to have to run in like four or five issues. Okay, so this is like a really yeah, but she's just a long article. Yeah, she's work for herself, right? Yeah. And she was like, great. However many Excellent. issues it takes. Yeah, 16 <laughs> sounds good. If you're interested, you can access the full article, uh, Dickens and Mrs. Gaskell, on our go-to JSTOR. But here's a little bit to just pique your curiosity. Dickens approved heartily of this tale on the whole, but 
As his mind seized upon the vivid, realized, dramatic revelation of Miss Furnival's guilt, he feels that a certain change will make the incident more arresting. He wants only the real child, so uh, little Rosie, to see the spectral figures of the father and the younger daughter, whereas Mrs. Gaskell has everyone see all the figures. Yeah, and I'm with Dickens on that. He <laughs> is right. He's he's not wrong all the time. He's, he's not wrong. I actually, I I kind of I kind of like that. What only the like child? It. Yeah, 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 I think it's good advice, man. <laughs> or only Grace. Like I would be, I would Just be some, interested yeah, in yeah, Grace. Yeah. 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 Uh, So Mrs. Gaskell must have replied at once, declining to make the change and giving her reasons for on November 9th, Dickens writes her that she he sees her meaning, but that he still thinks the turn greatly weakened by their all seeing those figures. He proposes that she let the story rest a week or so and then reconsider it before his alteration and decide between his ending and her own. Uh, It goes on to say that the author seems to have agreed at least to look at the proposed changes submitted in such a generous spirit since he (laughs) writes to her on December, I guess a day is missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. December something that he is sending out the proof for her to accept or to alter in any way she chooses. Hey, you make any changes you want, babe. The last letter on the subject was dated December 17th and it not only shows that Mrs. Gaskell stood her ground in spite of all her editors' pleas, but also indicates, unless it was a mere concession to courtesy, a decided reversal of his original firmly expressed judgment. Gaskell says, I don't claim for my ending of the nurse's story that it would have made it a bit better. All I can urge in its behalf is that it was it's what I should have done myself but there is no doubt of the story being admirable as it stands. Okay, so I would just like to propose that we act as middlemen. We build a like a time machine and then we act yeah. as middlemen between Dickens and Gaskell because I think we had some great insights. Well, I don't know how we make this work. I think we need to rewrite the story. Okay, yeah, I agree. It's the only way. It's the only way. It's the only and way. We- <laughs> yeah. We need to negotiate between <laughs> these two great writers. Yeah. Rewrite the story. In a seance. Yes. Yeah. At Gaskell's house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's Agreed. what we're doing. Okay. Excellent. Perfect. <laughs> so this read along definitely brought you Bronze fans out of the woodwork because people spotted so many parallels. Joy mm-hmm. said... This story is definitely Team Bronte. It actually reminded me considerably of Wuthering Heights, published five years before this, I think. A big, old, almost empty house, frame story within frame story, an old nurse telling the story, proud family whose hatreds and jealousies cause harm that span generations, obsessive love leading to tragedy, ghost outside crying to get in, the main male factor dying soon after seeing a ghost, the nurse narrator actually reminds me a lot of Nellie Dean. Yes. And Neve said, there's a bit of Tenant of Wildfell Hall, too. Yeah. Um, I thought in the descriptions of the house, and obviously Jane Eyre was constantly hearing sort of no- noises at night from the part of the house that was hidden from her. So, so many parallels, actually, between uh, Gaskell and Bronte. So it totally tracks Um, that Gaskell was pulling inspiration from the Brontes. As Diane Duffy explained, Charlotte gave Elizabeth a second edition of Wuthering Heights for Christmas. Sadly, that edition is no longer at Gaskell House, which I'm really upset about. Uh, What a stocking filler. I really wonder what Liz would have made of Heathcliff. 
Um, so yeah, I was actually wondering this about this while I was reading uh, Old Nurse's story. I was wondering if she had read Wuthering Heights just yet. I know that she would mm-hmm. go ahead and read it when she was writing the bio of uh, Charlotte Bronte. But she did. Yeah, she read yeah, it. Just she read uh, it. yeah, amazing. So um, and I also seems like she isn't only a fan of Jane Austen's uh, <laughs> works. Old Elizabeth. I am curious, Gaskell experts out there, I'm under the impression that Liz did not care for Wuthering Heights and did not care for Emily. But if anyone has any more insight, please share it in our Facebook group. I'm curious. Back to this story, though. Yeah. I also got, (laughs) I also got um, really strong Frances Hodgson Burnett feelings from it Mm. and I kept thinking about the secret garden when I was listening to it because of like the the well a child in a house that they're familiar with going and like being taken in um and I again we know that Francis Hodgson Burnett Charlotte Bronte like big fan you know they're all connected they're all connected and I just I like I just love the idea of these women like sharing their work with each other taking inspiration from each other and it was like this writing group that's just spread out through time and space, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think um, I think that's a great idea for a Doctor Who episode. Wow. New, a new Christmas special, even. Yeah. Anyone? They could give Charles Dickens the year off and just, like, have all the women doing it. <laughs> I'm for it. We're available if, uh, yeah. if anyone's interested. Yeah, anyone. But you guys also thought that this story would be great for TV, film, adaptations. Uh, Jane B said, I agree with the comments about how it would make great TV. We got really excited about how it's just perfect for adding sound and visual effects too. I like the way she builds up the tension throughout the story and then throws in such a dramatic ending. Jane, you're wrong. The ending's not good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Jane also said they're uh, planning on doing a spooky read along this autumn at Gaskell House. So do keep your eyes peeled. That's not our seance. That's like a different separate real event that you can go to at Elizabeth Gaskell's house. So keep an eye out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a real plug. (laughs) Now, speaking of women sharing work and taking the lead from each other, there was a great discussion about how the Gothic gives women writers a chance to really get it out there. So Mary L said, I was thinking about how the story gives Gaskell opportunities to explore some scandalous and dramatic topics, cheating, family discord, and violence. I wonder if the gothic genre gave women authors room to explore explosive subjects and feelings. And Miranda S. added, I think that's why so many of the great ghost story writers are female. It was a legitimate form to explore the darker side of life. On a similar note, I get so frustrated by the cultural emphasis placed on male ghost story writers. I love M.R. James, who wrote The Mezzotint, I think is Mm. the one, Um, and Dickens. But I'd love to see the ghost stories of Gaskell, Braddon, Wharton, Nesbitt, Riddle, Lee, etc., etc. receive some attention. Now, yeah, I mean, H.R. James. Great, great ghost story writer. But I was so angry because I've actively like not been reading books by men this year. Like right. trying really hard, and I listened to this as an audiobook, and then it also played this thing, and I was like not really listening to it, and then I was just kind of sucked in. I was like, now this is a ghost story, and then I looked <laughs> down, and I was like, oh no, what have what? I done? I'm being haunted by. I will men. say, if you want to not be haunted by men, 
mm-hmm. um, and you're interested in more gothic tales by women, you might want to check out Melissa Edmondson's Twitter account, which is at Melissa McCalla, M-A-K-A-L-A. Um, I've been retweeting her quite a bit as she's been doing 31 days of women writers who published like horror and gothic fiction. And all of this is leading up to her book called Women Weird, which features 13 horror stories by women writers like Edith Nesbitt, Edith Wharton, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, and Mary Chumley, who's actually come up on the show a couple of times. And I'm really curious to check her out. But that book sounds awesome. And um, yeah, maybe we should check it out next year. Yeah, it sounds, well, it doesn't sound like I'll enjoy it, but it sounds, (laughs) it sounds Sounds spooky. Yeah. It sounds like I'll love it. (laughs) And I will feel uncomfortable and get defensive. Yes. Yes, perfect. (laughs) Um, Now I will say the whole like gothic discussion kind of reminds me of this line that I highlighted from Diane's Old Nurse's Story blog, which is on the Gaskell site, which I believe is just gaskell.org, guys. Um, She says, Gothic stories were often written by women to do more than just offer readers a tale of terror to be read in darkened rooms or on stormy nights. They often carried harsh social criticisms. Truth in disguise, as Carol Martins calls it. Okay, so, yeah. I like that. I like that too. Maybe that will make it less scary when I read them. <laughs> the ghosts aren't real. It's social commentary. Yes. There's nothing under your bed, Hannah. You're an adult. The scary thing is how women were treated in Victorian society. And still are in many ways. Yes. <laughs> oh, I no, I have scared myself again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So something that is really scary is that we're going on a break. Very soon. Very soon. Yeah. Next We month. need it. You can't yeah. see these little Halloween haggard faces we've got. <laughs> Very I'm tired. I'm exhausted. <laughs> um, yeah, next month is our uh, last month of season three of Bonnets at Dawn. And then we will go on a break for a few months. Um, so we are going to be running our season finales for Austin and Bronte next month. The Bronte season finale, we are comparing and contrasting Jane Eyre versus Jane Eyre, the movie versions. Yeah, we're doing another watch along. I'm so excited. Doing- a watch along. I will post more details in the Facebook group. Hannah, you've never seen these movies, correct? Oh, I caved. I totally watched it. Oh, what? <laughs> the one where Michael Fassbender smoked loads and was gross. Yeah, I watched that one. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but I'll rewatch it. And then our Jane Austen finale is the long anticipated, much desired everyone wants to know what went down on our summer road trip so yes we will be sharing our road trip diaries from kentucky and all sorts of other stuff that we got up to this year and it's going to be really good so i'm excited for that to come out this season because i want to hear it as well yeah yeah it's good yeah yeah indeed um we will also be sharing a bit of our like bad lads of jane austen yeah. live episode that we taped mm-hmm. at page one books so i am very excited for you guys to hear that and uh one more announcement we have a giveaway end of the season we're giving stuff away how about that so um i have comic versions of the old nurse's story if you'd like to see this visually then what you need to do is you need to go to social media and you need to 
post about your favorite Bonnets at Dawn episode from this season. Yeah, yeah, okay, from yeah, this, one. this season. Yeah. yeah, from this season? Don't yeah. go post in season one, guys. They're a little rough. Come on now. So post your favorite episode from this season. Tag us in it. We will throw your handle into a little fishbowl and we will pull a few winners. So if you want to do that and you want to tag us on the internets, you need to know our social media handles. And um, what are those, Hannah? Well, Lauren, you can find us as always on Instagram and Twitter at Bonnets at Dawn. You can email us, but you shouldn't do that if you want to enter this at Mm -hmm. Bonnets at Dawn bonnets at dawn at gmail.com and you can find us on facebook by searching bonnets at dawn where there is very friendly community of people who know a lot about elizabeth gaskell and charles dickens apparently true true story